This is Citizen Reporter number 431 for the 1st of October, 2012. We've seen how strange things can get at night. Well, things are about to get a whole lot stranger. All right, hello everyone. Mark with you here in Amsterdam along the the waters of the Amstel River. And I'm seated with our friend, yours and mine, Olaf Kuntz. Hello, Olaf. Hi. It's good to be back in my home city in a way. Um, you, sir, are a traveler, and that's not an insult. And uh, most of your travels take place in the area of Russia that's a big area so it, it involves a lot more countries and, and regions and adventures um, and that's part of why I like to to have you recorded and communicating with my audience because you get to hear from that part of the world uh, where the stories are limited especially the ones in in, uh, in English or um, that aren't about the political game I right we get some of those stories and so that's why I'm glad to have you back for a little a little chat and one of the things I want to make sure that we get into is um, you released a book earlier this year. That's right. How's that going? How does it feel? Um, uh, it feels great. I mean, it's, it's something I've been working on for two years. And, um, you know, the actual feeling of sh like seeing it somewhere in a bookstore, yeah. you know, presenting the first copy to your father, it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, financially, it's, of course, a nightmare because I think I sold around 1,500 books and I make <laughs> around 10% of what it sells for you, so you can do the math yourself. Yes. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great pleasure and it's very nice to, to, you know, to be able to tell a very big story at once rather than to you know, fragment little stuff for TV or for newspapers. But, no, like, this wasn't an order that somebody gave you. You... No, I wanted to write the book. I mean, the book's about the Caucasus. Uh, it's been a place where I've been going for a very long time, where I've done so many stories, but just I wanted to fold and wrap all that together in, in one big story. Yeah. And um, I brought that idea to, to a publishing house. I just walked in there and said, hi, I want to write a book. And surprisingly, the uh, publisher said, fuck yeah, let's do it. Um, it became a rather personal book. It's about you know what I've experienced myself what I felt what I dealt with there in that area uh, of course it's very political of course it's very much about um, uh, terrorism about uh, you know it's about Muslims but it's also about it's, it's about life how, how, how yeah. people you know manage to, to live their lives and how all these weird little eccentric nations and nation states try to survive in the, uh, the fight of time yeah and, and the misadventures uh, not all of the myths but the misadventures of a, a sort of intrepid reporter. Um, everything from what you expected uh, from getting a ride from the airport to where you need to go and what, what ends up happening during those rides. Yeah, very um, miss, most of it. Where you stay, who you're supposed to meet and who you end up meeting. Yeah. And so that there's, yeah, that, that's one of the great things as well. It kind of reminds me of uh, the good old days of blogging when journalists were blogging about the the journey and not just you know the final story that we all get to read but also the process and that's something we get as well because the whole time all these adventures that you're writing about you're also at that time producing stuff for for the media you know being a journalist making sure. a living sure uh, so that's what's also kind of what i've enjoyed about uh, the book 
I mean, talk about a lot of different areas of the Caucasus, all with their own separate issues, um, nice things and bad things. Uh, one of the, for me, one of the interesting ones is is in Russia, but still, you know, there in the region, and that's the, the Sochi story. And I th- right. think nowadays people know this name better than they used to. And apparently, if it's up to the Russian government and the Winter Games, we're all going to get to know this name the way we know Lillehammer. Because because I never heard of Lillehammer before the Winter Olympics. <laughs> uh, and now we know, you know, Lillehammer. I don't know what else is there, but they had Winter Olympics. Sochi will have Winter Olympics in... 2014, in 500 days from now. <laughs> when you watch the clock of... Uh... Uh, no, the Russian government watches the clock and sends out PR messages. Uh, so I got that earlier today. So oh, all the 500 big numbers. Days. All the big numbers are there. So, and you go there, you were a journalist from another country. Did they roll out the red carpet and say, you've got to see our Sochi? No, Uh, quite the opposite, actually. Uh, I mean, last time I was there was a year ago. I've been coming there for three or four years now. Um, It's fascinating, yeah? I mean, Sochi used to be the the holiday resort for the upper Soviet class. So it's It's on the sea there, right? It's on the sea, it's on the Black Sea, it's got a subtropical climate, so it's actually pretty warm. It's like, they call it the Russian Riviera, reminding it of, you know, the better parts of the southern, of southern France. And when I went there the first time, there was nothing there that actually, you know, makes you even think about the fact they'll have Olympic Games here. Uh, nothing, no infrastructure, no big holes, no big sporting infrastructure, nothing. And you, you walk around that place and it's very old, crappy Soviet. And you walk around it and you think, geez, are they really going to pull that off? How on earth are they going to organize the Winter Olympics here? Right, it's more but famous as a warm spot. It is famous <laughs> as a warm spot. They'll do it in February though, so it's pretty cold up there, big possibility for snow. And the Caucasus Mountains are very nearby. So, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, the Russian, for the Russian government, this is a, a pet project. This is really where they want to show the world how they, you know, how the future of Russia will look like. And, you know, last time I was there, as I said, a year ago, man, if they want to organize the Olympics tomorrow, they could do it. It's like nearly finished. Everybody's ready for it. The infrastructure is there. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty big. And so does it do the promised so far anyway, uh, bringing jobs and... and you know, all of a sudden, all this infrastructure, everything from transport to, I don't know, hospitals. <laughs> what, it, what it does is that it, 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 it creates this infrastructure. Uh, what you need to question is how it creates that infrastructure. There's a road from Sochi, from the city itself, to Krasnaya Palyana, which is the city in the mountains where most of the skiing and the snowboarding and stuff will take place. And it's like a 45-minute drive. They build a road all the way through the mountains, which is, of course, a very expensive uh, endeavor. And uh, I've traveled that road, it's beautiful, but it's also the most expensive road in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's so expensive, it costed an estimated over six billion dollars. Six billion dollars for a road that stretches for 45 minutes if you drive by car. Uh, paved with gold. <laughs> Esquire, the uh, magazine, the Russian version, did a research where they uh, calculated what else could it be paved with for that sum of money rather than uh, actual asphalt and they calculated that it could be paved with 22 centimeters of foie gras it could be paved with 6 centimeters of black caviar or indeed with 7 millimeters of gold but it's not so but it's not it's just asphalt so guess where the where the money disappeared of course it disappeared in a massive corruption system that's called Russia um 
Yeah, I mean, obviously there are more jobs in Sochi right now. Many people work in construction, etc., etc. But it's it's basically, and this is uh, very common for the whole of Russia. I mean, these huge building projects. These are just you know ways to make a lot of money for a very limited amount of people. It's is corruption, it? as it as it you know in action. But is it one of those cases, someone said, I don't know, we were talking about Germany or the Netherlands and some corruption cases, and someone said, no one gets very upset about it because if corruption, uh, if things work under a corrupt government or, or a corrupt sort of business class, people are less inclined to complain. Is that the case in, in well, maybe Russia is too big to speak of, but in a Sochi, things are working, the Olympic Games will happen, so no one's going to complain. No. Because I mean, first of all, because to build all these in, all this infrastructure, all these sport palaces and stuff, they they have to clear out loads of uh, area. Oh, there it is. Yeah. yeah, well, the houses and stuff like that. <laughs> so people were pretty upset with that. They weren't properly compensated and the whole thing. And other than that, I mean, it's it's the type of infrastructure you don't really need. Of course, people are happy. There's a road from the airport to the city, which is now not packed with you know traffic jams as it used to be. Um, but you know, do you really need 12 ice skating? rings or do you really need all that infrastructure and the way it's developing um, you know it becomes very expensive you know, I work for a big TV company I can afford to go to Sochi but if I show the bills when I go back home my my department goes like whoa where have you been yeah. even the, you know two pancakes and a little bit of uh, vanilla <laughs> sauce cost you uh, around 30 bucks yeah. I mean this is this is you know so so for local people of course they're proud they're happy about the fact that the whole world will soon come to their city but these people come and they leave again and then you're just you know stuck with the uh, a massive amount of infrastructure you don't really need uh, an enormous amount of uh, uh, very expensive hotels you will never be able to sleep in and the only thing you got left are some good memories in the mascot so we know this happens we've known this about other other games in other countries as well we know this happens in the case of russia and yet we all government people to some extent or like you said some don't have any choice we just sort of go into it i mean we go forward into the, the olympic scheme well, I mean, sport is something magical, I guess, and, and everybody loves that. I don't particular, but whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, for Russia, this is a very specific strategy. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, to develop Russia in a proper democratic way, you'd need to... It won't happen, especially not under Putin. So what they realize is if we, if we want to get the country forward in any way, they will try to organize as much of these events as they can, and they will. 2013 there will be the uh, Youth Olympiade in, in, in uh, Kazan which is once in 2014 the Olympics in Sochi 2018 the World Football Championship throughout Russia 2020 the Expo uh, the World Expo in, in Yekaterinburg uh, a couple of months ago or actually a couple of weeks ago even they organized the APAC conference in Vladivostok I mean all these events are uh, fantastic ways for the Russian government A to develop the infrastructure B to steal a lot of money hmm and, and to get their name out as a country. And to get your name we out. We know it's a powerful country, but I, there seems to be this campaign to make it be seen as... I almost said cool, but it's not the point to be cool. It is part of the... They, they want to be seen as cool. They want to be seen as a place, you know, where you can go, where it's fun, it's a nice place to go. Please come and visit Russia. Because, of course, the press they get, rightfully so, are only about journalists being killed and protesters being beaten up. So, I mean, this is a way for the government really to show a different kind of Russia, for the infrastructure to go up, for the corruption to go up, and yet everybody being very happy and smiling about it. Hmm. 
So it's like a, a sort of small leap forward, and whoever gets hurt in the process, well, yeah. yeah. And in that case, it's it's reminiscent of a lot of big decisions from the past. And yeah, I mean, uh, sure. I mean, there there are there there are big discussions in in other places. Yeah, even here in Amsterdam, they're they're wondering should we organize the Olympic Games in 2028? Yeah, I refuse to go years. to any of those events about promoting the Olympic Games. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I make my statement. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and of course there there are many um, <laughs> many many downsides to it, including uh, you know the organizing the Olympic Committee probably being one of the most corrupt organizations in the world. Um, on the other hand, you know, if uh, Moscow, of course, organized the Olympic Games in 1980, mm. and even though the Russian government will probably be, you know, very harsh in organizing it, and it will be very limited, and everybody, everything will be very controlled, I spoke to a lot of people uh, who experienced that, and uh, you know, a lot of people, if you find any Moscow fight around 40, 50, 55. They all remember the Olympic Games as one of the most bright and best times of their lives, and they really enjoyed it. You know, most of these uh, pensioners can tell you what kind of affairs they had during during the Olympics and that kind of stuff. So it's quite funny in a way. Um, you know, lots of people are now learning English in Russia, which is a great you know great thing to do. Something that should really happen because English is very little spoken in Russia, and they're learning it in special Sochi Olympic programs and stuff like that. So in a way, that, that's that's kind of good. Yeah. Uh, I'm not against the Olympic Games. Uh, you know, they're nice, but uh, you know, just to see it, how that develops when you when you actually go to Sochi, uh, when I have to stay at uh, people's places via couchsurfing because I cannot afford a $500 Radisson Hotel, which is being built there every other day. Yeah. That's kind of weird. You know, it's just, it's just, it just feels weird. But on the other hand, I mean, the old after effect could be overall quite nice. Mm. Different place and a different topic. Uh, but in the Caucasus, I think one of your favorite places to visit, because I got to observe you uh, during a visit, is, is Georgia. Yeah. And, and people listening will remember in the last year, perhaps, conversations I've had with Georgians of different walks of life, artists and activists and journalists and so forth. Um, you're, you're into Georgia... There's something about the quality of life or, or style of life that I think just appeals to you. I don't know what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm a very simple uh, guy. Uh, if you serve me good wine and great food and you bring up uh, very interesting people, I'm happy. You know, I'm yeah. very happy. I mean, Georgia has a completely undiscovered but very well cultivated wine culture. The yeah. wine in Georgia is amazing. Yes. Uh, Tons of it at the airport on the way out. Like, there's tons of it in the airport. There's tons of it in the city itself. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. very affordable. I mean, I'm, I was born in Burgundy in France. Mm. I know my wines very well, but I can tell you this wine is amazing. I live in Russia most of the time where there is no wine at all. Or if yeah. it's if it's there, it, it costs you $100 a bottle. Here, for $100, you get you know uh, enough wine to, to be off the map for two weeks. Mm. Um, so, yeah, other than trying to get myself off the map for two weeks, I, you know, I really liked Tbilisi, the capital. It's a very bright, beautiful city. Um, just hang around there. People are very friendly, very open. Everybody will talk to you, drink yeah. a glass of wine with any random stranger you find in the street, and you'll have a great time. And, and I mean, since we talked about, you know, the situation when it comes to Russia and decision-making and, and a little bit how it affects people, let's try the, the Georgian scenario a little bit. Um, you have a, a president who is uh, not as popular as it used to be in, in Shakashvili. Yep. Um, a country that I saw examples, and perhaps you have as well, 
where things are actually working a little better. And I'm thinking of a lot of people were very happy that you don't get, uh, you don't have to pay bribes when cops pull you over sure. anymore. But nope. they can all remember not too long ago when you did. Nope. And so clearly something's up with how the police are run. But on the other hand, you have these protests where the police beat up journalists. I mean, what do you make of no, the what, state what, of what, what happened in Georgia, given the fact that it's a country in the Caucasus under so much pressure from its neighbors and from its historical background, what happened in Georgia to the actual government and the way the government rules uh, is little less of a revolution. Uh, I remember the times when in Georgia it was quite dangerous to walk around. Uh, every Georgian you know will tell you how hard it was to get a passport. You know, you had to borrow a hundred bucks from somebody or your father or your friend had to bribe somebody at the interior ministry that issues your passports, etc., etc. Now, you make an appointment online or download the Georgian government app, click, I want a passport, pay a fee, and the next day you have your passport. That's crazy. That's something that doesn't happen in that entire region anywhere. There's a whole sense of what is good governance and what is... Uh, how, how, how the country should develop, etc., etc. On the other hand, what you see right now is that Saakashvili has been implementing these reforms so quickly and so harshly, and so much is focused on Western attention rather than internal political affairs that he kind of overplays his hand. Uh, you know, they build all these completely useless bridges, they restore the presidential palace, they make all the streets of Tbilisi look like a postcard. There's massive unemployment, and uh, you know Saakashvili is more often in Washington uh, than he is in 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 the, in the capital or in the regions. So, you know the whole regional development really being on the on the background, and um, uh, yeah, the country you know, developing, but only as a you know, they, they call it a facade government. So they they really work on the facade on the, on the oh on the, on the, yeah I say I say facade I don't know facade why. yeah, yeah facade is yeah. very French. Oh, yeah. You want to call it fascist, but that's not what I said. It sounds very much no, alike. No, but actually I saw a lot of that in Tbilisi, yeah. where a building, for example... A building looks beautiful, and really then... nice. You step in, it's 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 a ruin. And and that's very symbolic for the way Saakashvili rules uh, uh, the country. Mm. You know, he touches up the facade and leaves the rest the way it is. I mean, in some regions, there's 40% unemployment. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. I mean, they, ma they managed to attract a lot of foreign investment, but in order to do that, you have to, you know, liberalize the labor laws so people can be laid off any given moment of time. That's what happens. That's why you got 40% unemployment. So that's, you know, it's it, on the whole, things are going really well, and people are complaining about the fact they, you know, they don't have to bribe traffic officers anymore, but now they get speed tickets and they actually have to pay them. You know, people complain about this. Uh, 100 kilometers more north in the same Caucasus area if you don't pay a, a traffic cop you might risk getting shot so mm. you know for this country for this place it's a pretty good development and so when you look at an upcoming political um, an election regardless of who wins do you think it it affects how many more reforms are pursued and how things progress or do you think regardless of who's in charge the culture is moving this way um, the culture is moving this way. I don't think Georgians will allow any new government uh, to take away the recent freedoms they gained. Uh, most definitely not. Uh, you know, if, if you know what life is without corruption, you don't want to go back to life with corruption. 
Um, I think what Saakashvili has to do is to make sure that uh, the transition of power, which is absolutely due to happen, um, uh, if, it not now, if it's not now during the upcoming elections, it will be in uh, nine months when Saakashvili has to leave because he spent two terms already. Uh, he just has to make sure this is a peaceful process. This is a peaceful process in which, you know, the other, that's part of, it's, you know, for Georgians and especially for uh, uh, the party of power and the people around Saakashvili, democracy is not yet affiliated with the fact that when you have elections and the other guy wins, you actually give him the power. They don't. They don't really gasp that yet. They want to. They hold on to it. Uh, I mean, they just have to realize that their time is over. They did their share. Now somebody else is coming. He has different ideas, different plans. Um, and if he wins, you're supposed to. But if he wins, this is a democracy, and you have to, you know, you have to give up power. And uh, I don't, you know, many people. Uh, this this guy, Ivan Isvili, is a billionaire. Uh, he wants a better relationship with Russia, but he's also a very pro-European, uh, pro-NATO candidate. So I don't think many things would change essentially. Uh, but I'm just very worried that the old regime is not willing to let go, and then you will see conflict. And when you see conflict in Georgia, it's nasty. Right. Hmm. I want to keep you moving uh, third and last for today. You mentioned in the book uh, some, extensively actually, some adventures in Chechnya. Um, I don't meet that many people that have adventures in, in Chechnya. You have gone more than once to the, to the region? Yeah. And, I mean, when you go, what are you usually in search of? Um... Jesus, hard question. What am I? I Is it one story, and then no, that's why you're there? No. Well, I mean. The, the point it and, and the point is and that's actually everywhere in the Caucasus if you go for one specific story yeah. you go there and the moment you arrive you'll be already dragged into another story and into another story and you end up doing loads of stories but not the story you came for okay. it's a very you know it's a very it's a place which is very dependent on who you meet how you meet them where you go what happens where you stay you know, it's very much be ready to cancel your plans be ready to cancel <laughs> all your plans I have loads of people who write me messages saying hi I'm a journalist I want to do this project in Chechen and that project and I always answer them you fine just buy the ticket go there make sure you have a good life insurance and you know just go there and ditch your plan cause, and just see what happens and that's what happened to me I went there a couple of times every time I went there you know I just I just said okay here I am you know I want to talk to somebody and then they'll everybody even here in Chechnya despite all the hardships that people go through and despite the fact that you know this is a rigid dictatorship where where, where Ramzan Kadir of the president rules the, 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 the place like his personal fiefdom and, and people live you, know, you live or die by his decision um, despite that people are very hospitable everybody will open their doors for you and you know you get all these amazing stories and it is pretty amazing I mean Grozny the capital was uh, up to 2004 I think Just the, the, flattened a flattened it was yeah. the most bombed place on earth yeah. by now uh, there's skyscrapers there I mean they're empty but there's a big new street, malls, there's people living there. There's the biggest street is called the Prospect Putin. It's named after Putin, the guy who actually ordered to bomb the shit out of the place. It's very, it's it very, it's like very weird. It's very terrible cynical. feeling. I mean, I mean a good weird. and a bad feeling. Like, it's very weird. Uh, on the one hand, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's very strange because this place you know so many things about is completely rebuilt like Disneyland. You know, it, it looks nice, it's all there, but it's not real. 
uh, and there's so much corruption and abuse of power that it's very weird to walk around there, especially when you get to meet people that are in government. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you know, Chechens are, are an amazing uh, people. Uh, as I said, they're very hospitable, but they're very, they're very positive as well. You know, despite all the shit they've been through, they, they do everything to, to build up their, their lives and their family life. And, and you know, they, even if they have uh, the last piece of wood, they'll still use it to you know enhance their little houses and stuff. Really nice, and they're, they're, they're very generous people. It's, it's an amazing place. But so you make Anyways. it sound like there's no harboring of bad feelings I mean I suppose it depends on each person I'll, I'll give you one example um, at one point we were sitting in a cafe and we were listening to some music which sounded kind of familiar but not really it's kind of like modest soft rock thing and I, I asked a waitress who's playing this and she said oh it's funny you mention it because it's a Chechen band and uh, we said well can we meet them like sure two phone calls and we meet the band <laughs> the band consists of if you'd see them at night in Amsterdam you'd run away they consist of five or six big buff fellas. Uh, all of them work, you know, in certain shady government position. One of the is the head of security of Kadyrov, and the other, you know, steals a lot of money at the pension fund, etc., etc. And they all fought in both wars, uh, the first time against the Russians, second time with the Russians. Um, and what they do in order to kind of deal with this whole war trauma they obviously have. They get together every evening, mm. six o'clock to seven thirty. They get together. They bought from their own money. They bought a huge professional sound equipment studio, and they play and record uh, American songs from the fifties. They play and sing Johnny Cash and, okay. the, and the like Elvis, Elvis <laughs> that kind of stuff. They only play that. And they do that and they go home. They don't rent out the studio. They don't let kids use their equipment. It's just for them. And um, you know, it's a very, it's, it's very interesting to talk to those guys. And uh, I spoke to one guy for a while, and then his friend afterwards tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, "You know, he's the guitar player." I said, "Yeah." He said, "Do you know that during the war, he uh, he ran in a burning building to steal a television uh, because it had the tubes inside an old television, and he built an amplifier out of it later while we were sheltering in a tank." You know, these are guys with pretty rough histories and uh, you know, their lives has obviously improved in many ways. They're still unhappy about all the corruption, all the shit that's going on, but they make the best out of it and play Jenny Cash every evening. <laughs> and that's uh, a beautiful thing to, uh, to experience, actually. I remember that story now that you bring it up. Yeah, you, you wrote at length about it. I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom prison And time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. I, I, I have this problem everybody has by now, I think, is that where rather than publishing things in your blog, I mean, I still publish all my articles, which are indeed mostly in Dutch. I still publish all that in my news stories 
on uh, on, on on the blog. Oh, okay. Just if I want to publish, like I have this urge to publish some things in Russian, so I just do it in, in Russian on Facebook. Uh, and I, I, I knocked it off for all my Russian friends, so you can't read it because you won't be able to understand it. Yes. Um, I, have to go to v I have a V contact here. No, no, it's just <laughs> in Facebook, but it, I just list like everybody that speaks Russian, I put them in a big list and I, I, and I publish agree. it. Yeah, okay. and, the, and you know, the public stuff, some of the, sometimes I do that. Most of the times I do that in English. Yeah. Or in Dutch. Uh, but this is just the thing where using your blog to reach out to a lot of people it just doesn't make sense anymore because you've got Twitter and Facebook. So you're saying you reach more people if you use your Twitter and your Facebook than you do. Well, Twitter no, I, I write I write a story in my website, and in order if I want people to read it, I have to post it on Facebook and Twitter. Right. It's kind of yeah. Well, old there's school. a definitely. I mean, there's a movement away from blogs. I think anybody who used yeah. to be a blog reader or still is has felt it. You see it in things like comments. Um, you see, you see, you see it everywhere, and it's it's just really weird. Where I had you know a couple of years ago, I had this real urgency to blog about things. I just lost it. I just post a picture on Twitter and move on. But did you... Okay, but this sounds like you're saying you lost it because the people aren't there. Yeah. So people moved on. Yeah. So you got to move on yourself. Mm. Do you have an RSS reader? Yes. You still use it? Yes. Wow. Uh, because, because I got a, a job or part of a job where I have to find constantly new content from different sources. I have, I have the same well, job. Well, yeah. Isn't that what we do? We're journalists. Yeah. I have the same job. So it comes in handy. Uh, no. I know. No. I, I have not missed my RSS reader for the past two years. If it's very important, I'll read it on Facebook because I have, you know. What about, but what about when it comes time to go search? You just do you just do direct searching. I do direct searching, okay. or okay. Uh, I remember what, what I what I want to read, who I want to read, and how. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. There is a drop off in using of all these tools, but. You know, and there, there's a combination of things that happen. Sometimes things happen naturally. Sometimes there's a push from some whatever company. Um, but I wonder if we won't come back. And that's what I... Because, you know, we could consciously push as journalists, as whoever we are, writers, that people don't read our content on Facebook, but read yeah. it on our own website, sure. which we've put heart and soul into more so, maybe. You know, I'm sure. just saying it, it may be possible to make a comeback. Um for the sake of why? Because there's a certain freedom. I know. In design and. Mark, show me, show me one place in tech where there has been a comeback. Internet Explorer. I don't oh, think so. I've seen a lot of commercials. <laughs> no, what, 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 show me one place or something we all used to use. Uh, made, a that's been, made a comeback. I, I, I don't have one right. Doesn't now. happen. Doesn't happen. Vinyl. Vinyl. <laughs> because of hipsters. I think the heavens are going to part and it's going to rain on us. Um, Olaf, it's good to see you. It's always fun to see you back in Amsterdam or wherever we may be. And it's even better to get to record your, your great words. And I'll put a link to the website. Look at that. We're getting wind. That will soon go away. Yeah. And, uh, put a link to Facebook. It might be easier. Okay. I'll do a link to Facebook. And we wish you happy travels and, and see you back here real soon. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And if you read Dutch, I'll put the link to the book as well. To that. Buy the book, help the author. Whose moves are still baffling to the police.